0: Well, brothers and sisters, this is a questions and answer time. <laughs> and I want to explain it first. If there are academic questions, man may be able to help. But if there is any spiritual question, no man can help. No man can answer. But thank God, the answer is there. And I believe you all know it. It is Christ. So do not expect man to answer your spiritual questions. You have to go to the Lord for the answer. And maybe you will find if you try to get an answer from man, it is very easy for you because you don't need to pay a cost. But if you try to get an answer from God, beware. There is a cost you have to pay. I was given a number of questions. But then for the brethren, they said, I don't need to answer all these questions. <laughs> and they said, if only I will share with brothers and sisters On one topic, one question that we may use this opportunity to share with one another. As your fellow pilgrims, all I can do is to share and to encourage one another. We are all learners. No man has ever been graduated from the school of Christ. Brother Nee advised a young medical doctor who was going to India as a missionary. Brother Lee said, that brother asked him, what should I do? Brother Ni nee said, you need to hang around your neck a sign. Red sign. L. Now in England, when you are learning to drive, that's the sign you have to hang on your neck. So Brother Nee said, you go as a missionary not to teach, but to learn. And dear brothers and sisters, are we glad that we are all learners and we can encourage one another on the way upward? The questions. that is related to that topic. I will read them briefly. Quite a number of questions, but they are all related. As a matter of fact, this question should be answered by Dana. (laughs) Brother Dana (laughs) has mentioned that one of the characteristics of spiritual travail is brokenness. Could you share some more light on this respect? Now that's for data. (laughs) What are the basic differences of a broken soul and an unbroken soul? Could an unbroken soul also, enter into spiritual travail. Please, provide some examples. From death come out life. But my experience tells me that although I consider myself died several times, isn't it wonderful? It sometimes pops up again it seems these are just fake deaths of self life how can we experience true death to our self life so that life of christ might live out in philippians chapter 3 verse 10 to 11 it seems to me that the fellowship of his sufferings can only happen after we are standing on resurrection, on the ground of resurrection life. Could you shed some light on the relationship between the resurrection life? and the spiritual travail, how can we always live under resurrection life? Could you clarify, what is the outcome of spiritual travail? How can we put the outcome in the most simple and practical terms? Is the Fruit, outcome of spiritual travail. The man child, as mentioned in Revelation twelve five. Or the bride of Christ, Revelation nineteen seven. Or many sins in glory, Romans eight twenty nine. Hard a question! Now, first of all, brothers and sisters, what is brokenness? Brokenness refers to the broken, the breaking of the outward man. That is to say, it is the soul life in us that must be broken in order that the Christ's life in our spirit may be released. And we all know in all spiritual experience, it has to come from the spirit. It will touch the soul and the body, but the origin has to begin in the spirit. It has to be a spiritual exercise. And spiritual travail, no doubt, is a spiritual exercise. Now, in order that which comes out of our spirit is pure, then our outward man, the soul, life, has to be broken. Otherwise, whatever comes out will be a mixture, impure, and God is a God of purity. Spiritual value actually rests in spiritual purity. So you can see right away that in this matter of spiritual travail, Brokenness is a must. But I'm afraid among God's people the concept of brokenness is not quite accurate. Some people say that once you have experienced this brokenness, then you are safe for life. That is to say, whatever comes afterwards must be of the Spirit and not of the soul. Now, that kind of concept is not accurate. When you come to spiritual things, it does not really begin with you. It always begins with God. God reveals. And under his revelation, we know what needs to be broken. Otherwise, if you try to be broken by yourself, you'll kill yourself. So, Revelation actually is the beginning of all spiritual experience. But again, when you think of Revelation, probably our concept is again inaccurate. Because we think of Revelation as something tremendous, earth And unless it is that kind, there is no Revelation. Not so our dear brother Watchman, he tells us, he said, in your lifetime, you may have one or two drastic revelation that seem to really change your life so tremendously. But we should receive revelation day by day. Otherwise, how can we walk before God? As He reveals, we follow. So, brothers and sisters, in this matter of brokenness, it is the same thing. In our spiritual life, there may come a day when there is such a drastic experience of brokenness. That seems to revolutionize your life. But that doesn't mean that because you have such an experience, therefore you are broken for life. Our self-life it's very subtle. You probably has to be broken again and again. So brokenness actually is a progressive experience. And some other people is exactly the different, the, the opposite. You are being broken gradually, little by little, until one day. A real brokenness. Now, let me illustrate. When you think of Apostle Paul, what is his experience? On the road to Damascus, the light of God came upon him and he became a broken person. It changed it completely. But that doesn't mean that after that he doesn't have his trial, he doesn't have to struggle, he doesn't have to be continually be broken. Because you remember Romans chapter 7. Now some people say this may refer to Paul before he was converted. But I personally feel after he has his mind renewed. Because it's a battle between the mind and the law in his body. Then if you study the life of Jacob, now you find that Jacob, God was trying to break him again and again even before he fled from his home. And after he fled for 20 years, God worked upon him to break him down, but he was such a strong person. And then at Baniyel, finally, he wrestled with God, and God touched his thigh he became a broken person. But even after the broken person, you'll find there are still instances that sly Jacob comes up, but he will not have a good time. So, brothers and sisters, brokenness is a spiritual principle. It is a basic principle. That every believer, if you want to grow spiritually, you have to experience it. Now, because of this, can an unbroken soul have spiritual travail? What do you think? I see people shaking hands. Is there anyone knocking hands? No, I will knock. (laughs) Even before brokenness, there can be some spiritual travail. Think of that. After you are saved, Do you ever pray and travel for the ones you love? Have you already experienced brokenness? No. It is true that in that kind of travail there is much that is worldly self-centered, self-interest, out of your own self. When you see other people perish, it may not touch you. But when you think that your loved ones will perish, well, that worries you. And you start to pray. There is some travailing there. But I say again, It is very mixed. Maybe a tiny little bit from the Spirit and mostly from your soul love. Maybe one day the Lord has to purify you. And when you begin to pray not for your own sake but the sake of the Lord you got it. For instance, Hannah. Hannah didn't have any son. And can you imagine he never prayed for that son? Now, if you are a mother, I believe you must pray very earnestly to get a son. But God did not answer her. Not until she came to a day when she realized That she wanted a son not for herself, but for the Lord. Got it. So, dear brothers and sisters, it is true. The purer your spirit is, the more broken your self life is, the more effective will be your spiritual travail. But, thank God, even after we are saved, that very life within us, the very Holy Spirit who indwells us, begins to work. Uh, And it is very true that the fellowship of his suffering that Paul mentioned in Philippians 3 follows the power of his resurrection. Because when you realize that any fellowship of his suffering, and that, of course, includes spiritual travail, you really cannot join with the Lord in his suffering unless it is the Lord himself who is working in your life. So that is very true. We have to see that it is not by our own life that we can travail spiritually. When you have spiritual travail, your soul life suffers. That's true. But that didn't that does not mean that. True spiritual travail comes from your soul. Your soul life is affected. And as a matter of fact, it is really the object of brokenness. But spiritual travail Is carried on not by your soul life, it is by your spirit life. So you need to see that what is your spirit life? Your spirit life is nothing but the life of Christ. And his life is the power of resurrection. Because he said, I'm the resurrection and the life so dear brothers and sisters I think it is very clear that so long as the spiritual travail is concerned it is not of man it is of God it is the spirit of God that moves upon your inner man the Christ life in you and in from the Christ life, there is a travail that begins from heaven to earth and then from earth back to heaven. And that is what prayer really is. I believe, brothers and sisters, even though we May not have and most likely not reached a summit, as it were of spiritual travailing, and yet I believe that more or less we have tasted something like it and in order that this spiritual travail may really increase, and it is not for ourselves, it is for the purpose of God. Now, in order to do that, dear brothers and sisters, remember, our outward man has to be broken. The problem today is, we do not realize how strong is our soul life. In the measure of the breaking of the outward man will be the measure of the release of the inner man. And that is to say, we are ready. More ready for spiritual travail. Mm. Now, in spiritual things, it is never something that is merely an outward matter. It is always an inward experience. So the deeper you experience that breaking of your outward man, you will be prepared more for spiritual travailing. Now, what will be the fruit of it? The fruit of it, of course, as you read the scripture, you will find, first of all, through spiritual travailing, from your passion for Christ, nothing but Christ, it will gradually fulfill God's purpose concerning his son, that his son may be all and in all in your life. He may sum up all things in your life. And at the same time, you will be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. You will be used of God as Paul was used to help to bring people to the Lord and to help to perfect them in Christ. And by doing that, the church, the body of Christ, will be built. Thank God, our Lord Jesus travailed for the church. He brings it to to birth. And he's continuing, travailing for his church. And by the grace of God, we are to share in that which is lack of the tribulation of Christ for his body. Not in a redeeming, atoning sense, but in a sense of encouraging, helping, ministering, uniting brothers and sisters that we may grow together to be a full-grown body, full of the statue of Christ, and that for the coming of the bridegroom. So, as you read the scripture, you can say that the fruit may be the man-child in Revelation chapter twelve. Maybe. The Bride in Revelation 19, and without doubt, the Eternal Bride in Revelation 21 and 22. And thank God, he who has purpose, he has perfect.
1: I mentioned, I believe it was last year, that I think we have this thing backwards. I think we should be asking the questions. But nonetheless, my brothers don't agree, so. (sighs) There's two questions that I have been asked to consider. One of them is directly related to the issue of spiritual travail. And the other one has a a dimension to it. So I'm going to seek to respond, first of all, to the one having to do directly with uh, spiritual travail. Maybe I'll just read this question. It is obvious that there is a direct relationship between our fervent love to the Lord and spiritual travail. Could you shed some more light on the relationship between spiritual travail and our intimate relationship with the Lord and with, fellowship, and with fellow saints. Could you give some good examples? Well, as I consider this, there are some verses that I feel like may be able to help us get the Lord's answer to this. First of all, those verses in Philippians chapter 3, that we have heard read so many times uh, this weekend. Chapter 3, beginning to read in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in a surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. So this brother or sister who wrote this question uh, was wanting to know if there is a relationship between our intimate relationship with the Lord And our relationship with our brothers and sisters and the issue of travail. And I think here Paul gives us the answer. When he had his first encounter with the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road, I believe that there was, as our brother had just mentioned, there was such a transaction, such an inter, uh, an experience of him seeing, uh, who the Lord Jesus Christ was. Now, let's remember, he was his enemy. He was trying to destroy the work our Lord Jesus was doing. He was going after, pursuing those simple brothers and sisters who were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, when he had this encounter with the Lord Jesus Something of a radical nature occurred in him. You remember, first of all, he asked the question, Who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he asked another question. And I wonder, my brothers and sisters, if maybe this isn't a problem that some of us have, is that we never ask the second question, that is, Lord what would you have me do? I understand at that point whether Paul would use that language or not. But it seems to me at that point, from, from what he saw of this person, Christ being revealed in him, his, right, the right response that he gave was to say, you are Lord. Now, when Paul used that word Lord, I think it had a lot more meaning and depth than when we sometimes say, Lord. We have used it so many times without the right meaning that maybe it has lost the significance it ought to have for us. But my brothers and sisters, if we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the mercy of God, our eyes are opened to see who the Lord Jesus Christ is, then I feel like that something of what Paul experienced will be our experience. He said, I am willing to forsake everything, count everything as lost, three times in these verses. I consider everything to be a loss. For what purpose? That I may gain Christ. So, brothers and sisters, is there a relationship between spiritual travail and our relationship with him, I believe there is a a very significant relationship. Because if all our interests are, if being assured that I'm going to escape hell, there's a place in heaven reserved for me, and that's all that is interest to you, then there won't be much travail in your life. Because it's already done for you. But in order for us to come into a full experience of all that God provides us in his Son, then we have to do the same thing that Paul did. Begin to count things as loss. Can I mention just something in a practical way? You know, in Second Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about us going from glory to glory. Now, I understand that what Paul's talking about is that that there's a, a work of the Holy Spirit from the very beginning when we come to know our Lord Jesus. That means he himself, his life, Christ in us, has come to take up residence in us. With what purpose? That we'll be conformed to his image. Now, this life is not there. There's no way. It can ever be conformed to the image of Christ. but He is there, and as our dear brother has shared with us, he, the objective of God is that this life will grow in us. You know what Paul said in Philippians 1? "For me to live is Christ." Brothers, I ain't there yet, but that's where the Lord is trying to take every one of us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. Who lives in me. Now, how is this supposed to happen? I mean, in terms of our practical everyday living, how does this become a reality? Well, probably our problem is we have too many things that we're unwilling to lose. Maybe some sleep. Oh, you say earning. Don't become legalistic. I don't want to be legalistic, but we need to face the reality, my brothers and sisters. How do we go from glory to glory, according to 2 Corinthians 3? What do we do? What is our responsibility? The Holy Spirit will do the work, and he will help us fulfill our responsibility. But what is our responsibility? Beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. Now, do you do that? How can you do it? You have to set aside time in your life. To push away all the distractions. Get the word of God. Submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. And let him show you more and more of Jesus. Because it's only to the degree. That you and I come to see him. See what a wonderful wonderful Lord he is. He's incomparable. He's indescribable. He's unfathomable. Unsearchable. Brothers and sisters, there's nobody else like him. And do you believe that our Heavenly Father wants to make us like him? Now, this cannot happen automatically. There is discipline involved. You remember over in Hebrews chapter 12 that the writer tells us that the purpose for discipline is so that we might share the holiness of God. Now you understand, that's something more than being forgiven of your sins. This means that we are glorified. That the character of the Son of God is being formed in us, produced in us. Something eternal. Something that we cannot do. But, The Holy Spirit cannot do it without our commitment and without our cooperation. So, we have to have times. So, let me ask us, are we willing to give up some of our sleep, lose a little bit of sleep? That you might grow into conformity with him? Amen. You know what I hear again and again, especially from my brothers and sisters here in the U.S.? I'm so busy. And I hear some of them saying, you know, the way they talk, there's not 24 hours in a day anymore. Only 18. Depends where you live. New York is probably only 16. Because they're so occupied with so many other things, there is simply no time to do this beholding. Now, let's face reality. If you don't do it, it won't get done. We're deceiving ourselves. And we're holding on to those things that we ought to be losing. Maybe sometimes we need to change our priorities about what is important in our life. What did Paul say? (laughs) Listen to what he said. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's ask ourselves this morning, is there anything in your life that is more important to you than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? If it is, it's an idol, and it's a tremendous hindrance to your spiritual growth. And it will interfere with what God is seeking to do. What is travail? In this context, travail is for you to lose whatever you need to lose so that you may gain Christ. If you don't lose it, you don't gain it. That's very simple to me. So the choice is with us. So is there a relationship between loving our Lord and spiritual travail? Yes. Even in terms of what's going to happen in us. Also, in terms of our responsibility as members of the body of Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I I trust that the Holy Spirit will, I don't know how to even put it into words, but somehow lay hold of our hearts and remind us again and again and again of what God has involved us with. We are involved in the most important thing that's happening in the universe. And we have to ask ourselves, is it something I'm willing, am I willing to lose some of my free time, my time for myself? Am I willing to give up some of my television viewing to go and seek to be a source of encouragement to some other brothers and sisters? Or to find a way to communicate this wonderful gospel to those who have never heard and never responded. So I'm not trying to make us feel guilty. It's it's not really what's in my heart. It may come across that way. But is there a relationship? Yes, there's a direct relationship. And so my encouragement for us is to be encouraged by what we see happening in the life of this man, Saul of Tarsus. He He was... Is there anybody who was more antagonistic to the one whom he came to love. And he manifested that love in very, very practical way. We don't need to go back over it again. I just mentioned 2 Corinthians 11. Brothers and sisters, all of those experiences was a manifestation of his love for his Lord. That when he said, Lord, what would you have me do, he fully surrendered. And I think this is a place where we need to begin. I just want to say to you as my dear brothers and sisters whether you're older or younger there is no substitute for a full total commitment of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ I tell you what I promise you on the basis of the word of God you will like the final product you may have some trouble with the process but I guarantee you you will like The final result, conformed to the image of the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, just think this morning with me. Let's suppose our Lord Jesus is standing. I better put him on this side. I'm on the right-hand side, okay? Let's suppose he's standing there, and you can see his character. And then here am I. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine the great discrepancy? between who he is and who I am now let's put yourself there I'll move, I'll move out of the way you stand there do you see there's a difference oh my brothers and sisters the more I walk with my Lord the more I see how unlike I am unlike him I am but hallelujah God is not discouraged <laughs> he, has, he has predetermined strong word he has, pre- he has predestined us. Nothing is going to stand in the way. Or oh, we, can, we can slow down the process. We can make it take a much longer time. But if we see, first of all, who he is, and then we see what he wants to do in us, what price is too high to pay? What are you unwilling to lose in light of that? So... Is there a relationship? I think there's a direct relationship. Our God is so practical. And so every hour of your life, he will be giving us opportunities to grow in in this image of our Lord Jesus and to uh, demonstrate our love for him. Let me just try to quickly respond to this other question. Uh... Uh, this brother is asking a question. I know it's a brother because he put his name here. He's mentioning about what Paul says in Galatians 4.19, where he talks about that Paul says to the Galatians, I'm in once again in travail for you until Christ has been formed in you. He mentions six other scriptures, and I, we don't have time this morning, nor do I think, feel like I'm in a position to adequately respond But there are two other verses that he mentions that I feel like have something to do with this issue of spiritual travail. Maybe the others do, too, and I just don't see it. But he also mentions Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Maybe we can quickly turn there. In the previous two verses, Paul has mentioned that our exalted Lord has given Five, a five-fold function to the body of Christ for the purpose of building the church. Brothers and sisters, I just remind us this morning there is one great burden in the heart of our Lord Jesus is to build his church, to get his bride ready. Listen, you know, I don't have to tell us, the problem is not with him. The problem is with us. And it's not that he's incapable of getting us ready, but we have a responsibility to make ourselves ready, to take the grace, to submit to his discipline, to learn how to obey him, learn to hear his voice. And this is our responsibility. But here in these verses, uh, beginning in uh, verse 12, he says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of serving— to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God. And here again, the brother points out this word until. So back in Galatians 4, until Christ be formed in you. Here, until we attain to the unity of the faith. And then... Another verse that he mentioned was in Acts chapter 3. And uh, these are some verses that are very, very special to me. I won't share with you why, but just in um, verse 21 of Acts 3, he says, Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, from ancient times and here the emphasis is on until the period of restoration so this issue of spiritual travail we come back again to what paul is talking about in galatians until christ be formed in you i am in travail again now what was the problem with these brothers and sisters in the churches in galatia very simply They had listened to a wrong a false gospel. Something that was not according to the new covenant was now being introduced into their life. And some of them were reverting back to the old covenant. Dear brothers and sisters, I I feel like that this is something of a problem among us. Is that first of all, it would be very, very valuable for us to rehearse and re review and come to a fuller understanding of what it means for us to be members of a new covenant the big danger is that you and I continue to revert to God's old covenant ways so the big question facing us many times is how do we take the old covenant and allow it to be useful as new covenant people without violating the new covenant So, brothers and sisters, this was Paul's problem. And when you read the Galatian letter, this man is not happy. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has deceived you? Because they had taken brothers and sisters. This is the reason why it's so important. Do we understand That in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his finished work on Calvary, God has given us the absolute best. There's nothing greater he can give us. And when that's not good enough, we got problems. And this new covenant that has been established by our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a provision for everything. There's a provision for your full salvation to be sanctified entirely. There are no excuses. There is a provision for the church to attain to the unity of the faith. And there is a provision for God to work so that everything will be restored to God's design and standard. So, is there relationship? (laughs) I think there's a great relationship. How they relate to some of these other verses our brother mentioned, I'm not going to try to address that. But brothers and sisters, there, there is travail in terms of us being conformed to the image of Christ. There is travail if the church is ever going to become qualified, equipped. Now, that's not the right word. I'm forgetting some of my English. But fully prepared. You know, sometimes when we think about the bride uh, and her condition now, I don't know what words, how you would describe the church today as the bride of Christ. But you know, some brides, unfortunately, don't take this issue of being a wife too seriously. And here it is, 11 o'clock, still has her hair in curlers, sitting on a sofa watching a soap opera. Hmm? Brothers and sisters, we need to be occupied with this issue. Now, there's only one Christ, there's only one revelation of Him. And so, the Holy Spirit is prepared to take and bring us to the unity of the faith till we attain. Now, the unity of the Spirit is something's given. We just have to learn how to live in it and be real with it. But the unity of the faith, we have to attain to, and that means, brothers and sisters, we have to do some changing in our thinking, because we are divided among men, across many lines. One of them is doctrinally. Isn't an amazing thing? There's only one Christ, one Spirit, one Bible. But you know, in Brazil, there are 3,000 denominations, just in Brazil. And many of them are divided along doctrinal lines. It's not the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, travail means, I don't divide with my brothers and sisters on the basis of doctrine. Doesn't mean that I have to agree with them. I have to be true to what I see. But I don't allow it to become something that divides me and, 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 permit, and prevents me from entering into fellowship to the, whatever degree we can. Now, certainly there are issues. But when they are not issues related to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be very tolerant, brothers and sisters. Yeah. I remember our dear brother Stephen sharing with us a number of years ago that he was invited to go and share at a conference. And it was another brother there who disagreed with our brother about the second coming of the Lord Jesus, and he refused to speak because our brother was, uh, was there. And he understood that our brother had a different understanding. Uh, this foolishness, it's more than foolishness, it's a, a violent sin against our Lord Jesus. And so we need to let the Holy Spirit. Lastly, you know that God's objective is to bring everything until the restoration of all things. And he's working In us individually, he's working in the assembly for this goal. And so, glory is the result of this tribulation. May the Lord be merciful to us. Brother David.
2: Stephen got one question, Ernie got two, I got three. It's the pecking order here, I'm telling you. (laughs) Uh, You know, actually, I always hesitate and a little resistant about these question-and-answer times, but I must say uh, our brother Stephen gave a whole message just in his short answer there, something for us really to consider. Uh, I hope you uh, can appreciate the uh, tremendous dimension of spiritual travail, and I think if you... Have listened, you've seen that uh, Stephen, Ernie, and I took a little different uh, tack on these matters. Just because there's so much to say, our brother Stephen shared the origins of spiritual travail, actually coming out of the travail of our Lord Jesus, and then how that life is formed in us and begins to travail by the Spirit in us. And so in his messages, he was sharing those kind of origins of travail in the world, travail in the suffering servant, and then how we enter into that travail. Ernie shared a very comprehensive uh, uh, view of spiritual travail along the lines of Romans 8.28. He was talking about the way the Holy Spirit takes all things, including uh, the times uh, Paul was in the sea for a day and a half and the times he got beaten. That's a very comprehensive view of the travail that goes on in our lives. But these things happened to Paul, and there's no doubt about it, that the Holy Spirit is the great engineer of our lives. And if we consecrate our lives to Him, there are no mistakes. And all those things, whether they're physical or, uh, or soulish travail, is all part of a package to break our outer man, as our brother was sharing. So Ernie shared that very comprehensive uh, definition. For myself, I took a more narrow definition because spiritual travail, in its narrower definition, is talking about the sort of aspect of prayer uh, that, is, that involves travail. We have a lot to uh, be thankful to uh, for the mystics who probably gave us definition of what spiritual travail was. When you read the lives of, of mystic uh, Christians, you see that they were often... Uh, sort of taken by the Lord uh, in in a way that affected their body and their soul as the Lord had them pray for things. And so we learn much from the mystics, actually, in this matter of spiritual travail. Then this word also came into usage. I'm just talking about English speaking now. Uh, Probably in the late 19th century, where in England they found uh, this uh, Holy Spirit uh, travailing in prayer, and there there came out uh, if you read like I recently read uh, a biography of Jesse Penn Lewis, she was some of those people in the nineteenth century who d- discovered uh, this getting through in prayer, this taking hold of a burden and praying until the Lord gives some scriptures and then laying hold of those scriptures and praying something through to the Lord. And it became something that the, the English mission movement really laid hold of and helped them a lot. And, uh, and Reese Howells came out of the same tradition that the Lord had burdens for us to find and then pray about and find scriptures and take executive action. And this became sort of the definition of spiritual travail. Uh, that uh, narrowly I, am, I was trying to relate to as I shared the messages that I had. Actually today, just to get you up to date, uh, today in the charismatic movement or the post charismatic movement or whatever you want to call it, uh, spiritual travail is a definition they use often to mean that when we take up a prayer meeting, a, a matter, you know, oh, our pastor is sick and everybody just starts praying in tongues. And that's what they call spiritual travail. And they pray for, in tongues for several minutes, and then maybe somebody gets some words to pray, and they pray. Now, I don't want to even comment on that. I just want you to know that if you go in certain charismatic circles and you talk about spiritual travail, that's immediately what they think. Because, you know, Paul says in Romans 8 that we have this burden that's beyond words, a groan. And they say, well, that's the gift of tongues. I'm not going to say whether it's true or not. It, it, that sounds valid in a way. That's not all there is to it. So basically, what I just wanted to say, by the way of background, is my burden on spiritual travail was actually about this matter of how the Lord begins to teach us in praying together. And the reason I have mentioned that is that the three questions I have are all regarding prayer. Okay. The first one our brother Stephen answered. You see, he took my question, and then he answered his question. Hey. Uh, in 1st Samuel, the story of Hannah. You see? When she asked God to give her a son, she wept and fasted before the Lord. Do we ever travail under a burden for ourselves or only for others? When we go through struggles of our own and we're weeping and fasting and crying out to God for uh, for help, are we travailing for ourselves? I want to recommend prayer, weeping, fasting, and crying before the Lord, anytime. <laughs> and I also want to encourage everybody here by saying this. Can I tell on the great saints, even in the Bible? Most of what ends up being spiritual travail on a higher level begins with a selfish need. Hannah is the case in point. She needed a kid and she was crying out to God for a kid for her own maternal satisfaction and to put Penina's tongue to rest. But God opened her eyes to see, as I put it, One day she was praying and crying, God, give me a son. And God said, Psst, Hannah, I need a man. And God brought her burden up on a higher level. And then she said, Lord, you give me a kid, I give you a man. God said, deal. (laughs) And, And Samuel was an epic changing man whose final moment was bringing in David into the kingship of Israel. So, uh, you know, Jonah. Jonah is crying, Oh God, take my life. It's no good to me. I came here to Nineveh and I prophesied and then you didn't do what I said. I can't take it. And God said, Jonah, Jonah, The mercy that I show you. Don't you know I have mercy on all of these people? And Jonah wrote the book to tell on himself of how narrow were his burdens until God made them bigger. And the only reason Jonah wrote the book is that now he had a burden even for the sinners of Nineveh. But it started out, didn't it? Pretty selfish. And I'm not going to take any kind of criticism if you want to talk about Job. But he had no idea that God and Satan were just using his life. And he was down there groveling and travailing. And it was all about what? Mwah! But by the time Job was through, he saw God and opened him up in a sonship. So all I'm saying is... Most of the burdens that we will receive that may become spiritual travail on a larger scale praying for the church praying for God's testimony usually starts out because there's a personal relevance to us Have you ever noticed when there's an assembly that's doing well outwardly good meetings good worship good teaching How often do you hear travail for that assembly? There's usually somebody in the crowd who we feel is always a bit of an outsider. Who sometimes says, you know, I'm praying and there's something not right here. And then when the crunch comes and a fellowship hits a real trial, most of us are caught completely off guard. Because we're not sensitive to things spiritual. And I admit that for myself as well. We, we go along and we look at things outwardly. Look, there's more people. There's a great excitement. And meanwhile, something's going wrong in there. I'll never forget. Um, I was in Queens, uh, a fellowshipping and brother, uh, with Brother Christian Chen and, uh, and, and the other brothers. And I was there right after 9-11. And our Brother Christian very seldom uh, chastises the saints but I think the first message that was given after 9-11 was our brothers if I'm not mistaking and basically he said why haven't we been praying for New York City as God's people in New York City shouldn't we pray for not only kings but for our own city and for the safety of our city and prevent Satan from getting into our city why didn't we pray and we were all ashamed because seldom in our prayer meetings did we really take up this seriously You see what I'm saying? I mean, we're great, oh, we prayed after the fact. But so I'm just saying, we're such selfish people. I'm even gonna, oh, this is, this is, I know Ernie's gonna bristle. I'm gonna tell on the apostle Paul. You know, Paul was always a man of travail, I'm sure, and the Lord showed him things that were tremendous. But I know that his first missionary journey where he went to the Galatian churches was a a, a wonderful time. But it was during the second journey that he heard about the problems that were coming up in Galatia and he began to pray for those churches. You understand what I'm saying? Because even Paul had to learn to the place where he could say, we are not ignorant of the enemy's ways. The enemy has more ways to bring down the church more ways to divide the saints, more ways to break up families than you and I are intelligent of. But at least if we can ask God, God, we're, we're so ignorant, but would you keep us sensitive? Would you... What we need is Jesus to come to our church just like he came to the seven churches and say, warning, warning, you're losing your love, you're getting cold, you're doing things traditionally. Oh, we need the Lord Jesus to do that. And you know something? I believe he does that. But sometimes we leave him outside the door knocking because we're too busy. Shame on us. So, I think the saint that's going to have a burden, a travail for the church is probably a saint who was in a church that went bad. And now you understand. I mean, maybe you saw something precious, and now something precious has been lost. And now, in retrospect, again, I'm speaking selfishly, we realize what we've lost, and we're on our knees for the Lord's church. And through many trials and travails, Paul went from place to place, starting churches here and there. And by 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists all those, you know... (laughs) all those things that he went through. And, but then he says, beyond all of that, when I hear of somebody, some saint in a weakness, I feel weak. And when some saint's caught in a sin, ah, it ruins my night. Why? Because he realizes what that does. Whereas the Corinthians were saying, oh, well, that saint's in immorality. It won't really hurt us that much. Well, Paul knew by sad experience. So, this question is completely legitimate. If you have a personal burden, go to the Lord and pray. If you have a travail, because the Lord has a wonderful way of lifting that level up beyond yourself. And many times he'll say, just like you say, Lord, I'm so, I'm so burdened, I'm just, I, I don't feel at home in this church. The Lord may come back to you and say, I don't feel at home either. Let's pray. You understand what I'm saying? I, it's, it's, it's a mature saint that hears about something that they have no connection with and really feels a travail for it. As a discipline in Manhattan, as we meet as a little group on Thursday nights, we always have to take up a couple of matters beyond us just for the discipline of it. We find, find out somebody needing prayer in Africa and we pray or we hear some situation in Nepal. We have a few connections like that, and we pray about them. Now, it's hard for the saints, who are average, I'd say, 26 years of age, to really get too worked up about what's happening in Nepal until we send out two people out there for a visit. And then they come back, and they're burdened. And the rest of us are, okay, la, la, la. So when it's time to pray for Nepal... There's a lot of groaning and silence. And a couple of people pray. And then we come down to the personal matters and somebody's lost their job and they begin to pray and they tear up. And suddenly there's a flood of 12 prayers for the saint who's lost their job. Well, you see, that's because that's real to us. We know Joe and we know he's lost his job. We immediately want to pray. Well, may the Lord grow us up To where the Lord has a burden for Nepal, even though we don't know a thing about it, we can enter into that burden somehow and travail. This was the great lesson of the Reese Howells Training Center. You know, out of Reese Howells' intercessor, they developed a training center. And my, my, the lessons they learned there, you know, you've probably heard some of the stories. During the First World War, they received all kinds of prayer things to pray about. Uh, that they had no idea. They found out afterwards there was a sudden attack in a certain place and they prayed specifically for that place. And now those are, those are people who have given themselves long enough to where they have a sensitivity when the Spirit says, psst, pray for uh, the saints in South Jersey. And even though we're not there, we say, Lord, you know? But it, it starts out in the, in our individual burden, I think. and And then... The Lord grows our, our, our heart to where we get to the place where, I, you know what, I, I wish I were a great travailer. I, I give no credit to that, but I came here Friday night, and I just heard something somebody was sharing with me, and I couldn't sleep all Friday night. Now, it's not that I'm a great travailer. It's just that sort it of breaks my heart when I see the enemy attack something. and I, I hadn't heard anything about it, and I couldn't sleep all night. Now why I thought about the situation all night long. Hardly knew what to pray. I groaned some and tried to sleep. But Friday night I was sleepless. And that's what happens all of our heart, isn't it? It's larger than us. When you see any saint going down or being attacked or something, it attacks you. Paul says, Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who's caught in sin and I don't feel outraged? Do you feel that way? Well, you know, the Lord is going to pull us out of selfishness one wisdom tooth at a time. <laughs> until we really care for one another. And as everything is shaking and coming down, like the writer of Hebrews says, when it's all shaking and coming down, let brotherly love continue. Wow. So Lord, Lord prepares for that. The individual prayer, does it start out individual? Yes, it does. Will it grow into a larger burden? Yes. second question has to do with how about if we're just two or three together and the Lord's given us a special burden. Is it okay to pray about, with spiritual travail? Or if we do, how do we do it and stay covered? It's a large question. Obviously, when two or three gather, especially those who have some burden to pray, it's, it's fine. I, I, I have no problem with it. It, but why did they say, now, why do we, what kind of guidelines should we have to keep us from getting uncovered? Two things happen to the two or threes who get together and pray. They go, they go wrong. And what's that? Well, either A, they uh, begin to feel like they're somebodies and get a little proud about this. And we have to be careful about that. And the second thing is, That we start to gossip and judge people as we pray about them. And then things go wrong, you know. So there is that matter of asking ourselves, I suppose, this question what we are praying about today, drinking coffee among a couple of sisters, can we take that to the house of God and share this burden? Now, I know there's confidential things. You, some things we pray about, we can't say openly sometimes. I understand that. But I'm, I'm saying in general, if we're actually praying somebody and we're sort of, I don't know how to say it, judging somebody as we're praying for somebody, I see, there could be some problem there. An independence develops where the prayers seem to know more than everybody else. And in fact, it may be true but there cannot be independence. And that's why I said, you know, from the closet to the house, which brings up the third question. How about corporate prayer? I mean, basically uh, we're thankful for all the examples of individual and spiritual travail. Please give me examples of corporate spiritual travail. And then they mentioned two perfect examples uh, in Acts chapter four and 12. Now these are the times where Peter and John were in prison, and so they were all given to prayer. And then when they were released, there was this tremendous prayer in Acts chapter 4 in one accord where they prayed with a great burden. They say, take note of the threats we've received. Please, Lord, by Jesus, give us the power to continue to be faithful to you. And the place was shaken, and they preached the gospel, and a few thousand more people got saved. That's a good prayer meeting. And the Lord was surely there. And of course, that's a perfect example of a travail that they had together. Now, here's a threat. What do we do about this threat? It's a very real threat. These guys say, if you keep doing something, we're going to do something. Please give us the courage and the Holy Spirit. And they received a new, fresh, empowering. And many more were saved. And then they mentioned Acts chapter 12. And that's the little prayer meeting where we meet Rhoda and Peter's in jail because you know what? Herod did do something more because they kept preaching the gospel and, and he killed James, John's brother and put Peter in jail. Ha, that'll show up. So an angel came and got Peter out of jail and then they went to Rhoda's house and it says they were praying and praying and praying Oh Lord, as Peter is killed we pray and then knock, knock, knock. And so of course again is that a legitimate spiritual travail? <clears throat> Let's see, we hear of a worker who's been imprisoned? Absolutely. We hear of somebody who's deathly ill? Absolutely. A few years back, I I used to live in Huntington. I'm sorry for the personal reference. And Ernie's wife, Zola, was gravely ill. And the saints in Huntington decided to have an extra night a week to gather together just to pray for her we learned more about the Lord and his mercy and faith and prayer, praying for Zola and for her healing. And, of course, the Lord took her home. But that didn't discourage us at all. Because there was something that was, had grabbed all of our hearts. And we just prayed for mercy and prayed. I, I remember some specific prayers out of the whole time. I, I won't you know, share them, but it was a tremendous time. We learned something because we were all gripped with this... Deep desire to see the Lord do something in the whole matter and, to, of course, to uphold our brother Ernie at that very, very difficult time. Well, so we need to learn how to pray together. And so, of course, this matter of spiritual travail may it come into the assembly in a real and a living way? Uh, you know, usually in our assembly life, we're prone to tick off lists of many things. You know, many people are sick and people don't have jobs and there's this and that and the other thing. And next thing you know, that list grows so long. And of course, these personal matters are things we should take up, right? We're together and there's some people in need. Let's pray for sure. But, you know, if we don't take the time to find those things, well, what's the Lord really burdened about that's maybe not dealing with these personal matters right now? What is it really? How do we find those Larger issues in a living way. It's not as mysterious as you think, but here it is. Some few saints need to take this matter of the prayer meeting up with spiritual travail. And ask the Lord to show them, are there some things, Lord? Is there something? We received a phone call from somebody. And it just stuck in my heart that we need to pray for that couple up there and so and so. It doesn't have to be huge. We're not talking about a world war breaking out. But something regarding the church, maybe in some location, maybe with some workers. Uh, I'm so thankful this summer. I had a a very difficult summer uh, for many reasons and uh i'm so thankful that so many saints prayed for me i i i I can't tell you sometimes i I feel like uh, as ernie said none of us could compare with the list that paul writes but sometimes we get so exhausted and uh, and yet the lord raises us back up and one of the reasons he does it is to show that he keeps resurrecting his people just to encourage us all everybody gets exhausted and worn out and discouraged or whatever. Uh, and then the, I mean why did why did the lord allow Paul to go through all of that shipwreck and imprisonments and everything? Well, it was breaking Paul's very strong outer life, right? But how it encouraged the saints. I wonder what they thought when they read the book of uh, in Philippi when they read the letter and Paul says, "Well, they got me in prison." But they can't keep me down because some of the local guards have gotten saved. And beyond that, there's some people preaching the gospel who never did it before. And he starts counting his blessings. They're in jail. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And oh, thank you so much for sending your gift to me. And, and there's the saints in Philippi who are feeling pretty low. And there's resurrected Paul living on resurrected ground. And when Paul was stoned there in Derby, and then he stood back up. I think that was the moment that Timothy got saved. Now that's just my, that's what I heard, I read somewhere, it sounded good. You know, Timothy lived there, and when he saw Tim, Paul get back up off the ground from stoning, he says, wow, look what God can do. And the way that God preserved him through shipwrecks and this and that. You know what that says? It spells out on a large neon sign. God will take care of you. Don't be afraid because not everybody is as bold as Paul. Many saints are so, so timid. Just to speak to a co-worker, they almost have to fast for a week. Well, but you know, there's many timid saints. But when you see that big neon sign over Paul, you see that it says the Lord may take you through tough times, but he always brings you to the top like Joseph because the Lord has given you resurrection life. So don't be afraid. You, You know what I'm saying? Well, now corporately, we need to learn to stand with one another, carry some burdens larger than our own local assembly, And then when we see things done, praise God for the life outcome. I believe when the Lord gives us some burdens on these larger matters, that the Lord really intends to do something. It's not always what we think, but he always does something. I love Lance's testimony of how he and the the teenage kids got together. Because, you know, the Hebrides revival in Scotland had just happened. And Lance was a teenager and his sister and some friends. And they got so worked up about that Hebrides revival. They said, we got to pray for revival for London. And those kids prayed and travailed because God gave them that burden and gave them the grace to pray. And he said, every night for three months, at least two people came and prayed and sometimes eight. Every night. Teenagers. Three months. Every night. And when they got through, and it's okay, and they... And what happened was, well, revival didn't come to London. But they started having gospel meetings and kids got saved. It took them three months of prayer just to get them ready where they could preach the gospel and people get saved. But God did it. And there was that life that came into Halford House and the the whole testimony and our dear brother Lance and all of that. He learned that how? Through those spiritual travail prayer sisters who had learned those lessons of prayer Laying hold of the Lord, praying through, getting those scriptures. You remember all those stories he'd tell about auntie so-and-so and and how how they'd say, okay, back into the prayer room. And they'd go back in there and Lance says they'd be warring. And Lord, Lord, what should we do? Giving us a scripture and all of this. And they were just these prayer warriors. Well, something got into Lance and his sister's heart about prayer. And his sister is a real prayer. And they and, and just laid hold of them. And, and as they prayed for three months, it, it kind of got out into the group. And so I remember visiting uh, Halford. Uh, I'll just finish with this. I remember visiting Halford House when Lance was still there. And this was about uh, early 80s. And, I, and we went to the prayer times that they had. They had a prayer and Bible week. Every day for a week they prayed. Uh, they had morning, afternoon, and evening sessions for a week in January. And it, it was amazing what they had learned about prayer and their ability to enter into spiritual travail. And some of the things they were, you know, I mean, we were, we were guests from the United States. At that time, they were praying about a, a railroad strike that was going on in London, and it crippled all of the people who had to go to work, and they all took the train into the city, and they were on a strike. And so I remember one afternoon they took this matter up. The brother shared about it, praying about a railroad strike. Lord, we've got to have this strike broken. <laughs> they prayed, and, they, and then they went and had what anybody does after spiritual travail, they had tea. <laughs> the next day in the paper, strike broken. <laughs> well, I tell you, they were hooting and hollering in there at Alfred House that day, you see. I don't know where they got the burden to pray for that, but it was obviously from the Lord. But behind the scenes at the prayer meeting in Halford House, which is a very living experience the times I was there, behind the scenes, there were at least two brothers and three sisters who read the paper and prayed about situations. They they, they wrote letters to the the missionaries they were connected with in Nepal and elsewhere. They got the up-to-date stories. They prayed for these situations. And when they came on to the prayer meeting, they not only had the list of those who were sick, they also had a burden or two of larger matters that the Lord was intensely concerned about. And the saints had learned to get past themselves and pray about those things as well as the individual things. So what's the secret to corporate prayer on a higher level? We need some dear sisters, a few brothers, We'll just spend some time really thinking about what the Lord wants us to pray about at the next prayer meeting. Could it be any simpler than that? And wherever we're at at present, if we will learn to develop that ear to hear the Lord over the years, the Lord will make our our prayer meetings corporately meetings of spiritual travail as well. It's not that every Wednesday night you come together and there's some huge issue to pray about. We believe that an asteroid is going to hit the moon. we got to pray and veer it off course. A lot of times, it's not like every week there's this huge thing going on. But I would say that the Lord wants us to learn. Learn his heart on larger levels. Things going on in the kingdom right now. That he wants us to pray, to bind and to loose, to learn these lessons, to take the keys in the prayer meeting. And I, I, I know that as a result of that, when our prayer meetings are, are bristling with a life that comes because we are before the Lord and exercised, spiritually exercising, not just praying for people, you know, like, but spiritually exercised, that is a living prayer meeting. And may the Lord help us come to that place.